Bibles to Acts chapter 2, verses 25 through 28. Acts chapter 2, 25 through 28. Entitled the message, The Faith of the Old Testament Saints. The Faith of the Old Testament Saints. I'm not going to give you the names if you want them. I can give them to you later, but it's not my point to bring up their names. But let me give you three sections, three quotes Uh, just in different parts, just to let you know that there are ministers out there, churches out there, that make a great division between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And they want to distance themselves from the Old, and they want to just embrace the New Testament only. Also, they don't want to see salvation in the Old Testament the same way it's taught in the New Testament. So these are bad quotes, but let me give them to you just to let you know some things that are said. One person says, the Bible did not create Christianity. The resurrection of Christ created and launched Christianity. Your whole house of Old Testament cards came tumbling down. Okay? Number two, the Old Testament... This is a conservative Baptist person, by the way. The Old Testament was not written for us. I mean, it goes on, but I'm like, if you take Psalm 46 away from me, we've got issues. But he says it was not written for us. It was written for Israel. The Old Testament was God's law for Israel, not for us. And the same author, same pastor, the only parts of the Old Testament that apply to us today are the parts that are represented in the or the parts that are repeated in the New Testament. So the only thing applicable from the Old Testament is if it's repeated in the New Testament. Okay. We don't live under the Old Testament, we live under the New as if they're two different things. But then a worst case scenario and this is where the great problem lies for the sermon today. Not sure who said this, but I know it is said by those out there, and it goes this way. Christians are to follow the New Testament, of course. The Old Testament was the Jewish Bible. Now listen closely. There are new and different requirements for salvation. New and different requirements for salvation. Faith in Christ alone is now the requirement. Implication, it was something else in the Old Testament. Are you to tell me that they were saved in the Old Testament without faith? But he says now it's faith alone. Now we look to him by faith. Well, there's more, but that's enough. Now, that's what some people say, contemporary in our day and age, alive and preaching in pulpits this morning. However, let us turn our attention to the Bible. In the Bible, in Acts 2, we have an inspired apostle by the name of Peter preaching under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, who is also an author of First and Second Peter under the Spirit of God, So regardless of what a man in a pulpit may say or what a man may write in a book called a commentary, I'm just going to dismiss all of that 
and say, what does the apostle have to say to us? And in verse 25, this is what the apostle Peter says. This is what David, Peter's talking, this is what David says concerning him, the him being Jesus Christ. So just let it sink in. This is what David says of Jesus. Okay, now, this is what he says. Quote, here's David. Go back 700 plus years before Christ, and here's what David says. I saw the Lord. And I know from the passage, if you follow it out, the Lord is none other than Jesus Christ himself. So Peter says, David had right vision of the Lord Jesus himself. This is, this is a clear revelation of the Son of God to an Old Testament saint that he saw him by faith. I saw the Lord, and notice what the text says, always, continually before me. Why is that? Well, because he's at my right hand. We're walking side by side. And the reason that's happening, David is saying, is that I would not be shaken. Because of the reality of David's faith, verse 26, therefore, because of a real faith in Christ, my heart was glad. My tongue rejoiced. That's the whole, that's how I conducted my life. My future, my flesh or my body dwells in the reality of hope. Why is that? Well, because, verse 27, you're never going to abandon my soul to Hades. How do you know you're not going to be abandoned to Hades or to the grave? Because the next line says, you will not let your Holy One see corruption. Because Christ is going to be raised, I know that I will not be left dead. Verse 28, he says, you have made known, you've revealed to me the ways of life. I now know how to live. And here's my future. This is the reality of the end of my life. You will make me full. Gladness, full of gladness. How in the world could anybody ever have fullness of gladness? It can only be in the presence of God. You cannot have gladness to the full separated from God. It's only in Him that you can have this fullness. If your gladness is waning, it's probably because you're not in His presence. Because in His presence is fullness of joy. All right, that's our text. Let's look at it this morning. Here's my short thesis. To truly see Christ with the eyes of faith is the only way to have the fullness of life. So faith, faith's object Faith's stability, faith's attitude, faith's promise, faith's direction. All of these from the Old Testament, contrary to some who don't read their Bibles rightly. Now, number one, make it plain, make it simple. It's on the back of your bulletin. Number one, faith's object. You can have great faith, but if it's in the wrong object, it won't help. We know from our text, David had the right object, the Lord. 
He believed, he saw, he had faith in the Lord. This word here in our text, uh, for, for David says that I saw him, this word saw is I saw him ahead of time. To have before one's eyes, at least let it sink into your head. Some 700 years early, David says, before Christ ever came born of a virgin, before he was ever revealed in that manger, before he ever walked upon the earth, I saw him. In advance, I saw the whole thing. This is how David is saved. I believed in the Messiah. I believed God was going to send his son to down a cross in my stead. I saw that beforehand. My faith in advance of this Christ changed my life forever. All of this, as you know from your footnotes, reference notes, comes from Psalm 16. So I will refer and read Psalm 16 all the way through. But let me take this verse, Psalm 16, 8. This is what it says in the Old Testament. I have set the Lord always before me. I've, I've always set the Lord before me. This is the object of my faith. You look at David's life, there's some meanderings. There's some wiggle room there. There's things you know about his life that are not pretty, but he keeps coming back to course. He keeps coming back to the right spot. Why? Because he keeps setting the Lord before his eyes. Now, the object of the psalmist's faith was continually before him. Now, I'm not a farmer, but I did work on a farm for two years. We had 4,000, 4,500 acres, South Texas. Pre-phone, pre-GPS, pre-electronics where tractors drive themselves. Before all of that, when you have a 400-acre field and it's all tilled up and it's all flat and you want to make rows, you want to make your rows straight. The farmer takes a white, or at least we did, a white milk carton and sets it at the end of the field. You get in the tractor, you put your hands on the wheel, and you look at that white milk carton on the other side, and you don't take your eyes off of it all the way down the field. If you take your eyes off of it, your, your rows look like this. It don't work out good when you start spreading them out. It just gets worse and worse and worse. So you set the object before you, and no matter what happens, even the crazy plane guy, if he comes and sneaks up behind you and flies over your tractor to scare you, you've got to look at the bucket. Real story. They did stuff like that. You have to keep your eyes set here to live life straight. David says, I've set the Lord before me. That's the object that I'm living for. Or we could say it a couple of other ways. We may say, he had his eyes of faith fixed on Jesus every day. What are we going to do today? I don't know what we're going to do, but I'm going to follow Christ. Or we may say, uh, we may understand that the psalmist, we may say it in a kind of a, another form. We could say, here's the point. He wasn't looking for something else. He didn't need a better object. He didn't need a different object. <laughs> Look, we've solved the dilemma. My faith, in our song, my faith has found a resting place. I don't need a device. I don't need a creed. I don't need anything else. Everything I need is in Christ. I'm not looking anywhere else. Come hell or high water, come difficulty or ease, look, all my faith is bound up in Christ. We could say it this way, 
maybe like Paul would say it in Philippians, David has learned to be satisfied with Christ. Now note, none of that means that life isn't difficult. It doesn't mean we don't go through hard circumstances. It don't mean that our faith doesn't get uh, attacked in so many ways. But it does mean that we don't abandon Christ. It does mean we don't look for another. It does mean we don't leave the church. It does mean that we gravitate and hang on with everything we have. And as we do, one day finally comes and the light dawns and you look up and you go, wow, as hard as I was holding on, the truth is Christ was holding me. Faith in the wrong object will not produce things that are profitable. So just a quick application. And I know it's true of many, even in our room at times. But faith in money ain't going to help you. Faith in materialism, position, fame, politicians, science, in any people for that regard, or in the false world of social media, it's not going to produce the fruit that this faith produces. I know you get tired of all the social media comments I make and I sling them out. But I just want you to understand, David never had social media. I just want you to understand that true faith finds something that nothing else can produce. You say, what does it find? Look at the second point, second line of our verse. Look there. I saw the Lord always before me. And look what happens with this type of faith. Face object produces face stability. He is at my right hand. This is true. We walk together as believers, as a Christian and the Lord. Why? So that I may not, I will not, I cannot be shaken. Faith, genuine faith, produces stability in the believer. The Lord is at his right hand. The Lord is beside him. The Lord Jesus walked daily with David in the Old Testament. Because of this real relationship, the church, grab a hold of it. There is nothing that can happen in the Christian life with this type of faith that would shake you and cause you to tremble in a sense of uncontrollable emotion. Let me put it this way. The word for shaken has to do with being disturbed inwardly. Figuratively, you could say it like this, though. There's nothing that can happen in the Christian life that would cause you to waver from the one you're loyal to. Hospital surgery, death, Rebellion of a kid, rebellion of church members, whatever the situation may be. Crash of the stock market, bad president elected, politics gone wrong, uh, uh, all these things happening in life. And, and, and here's the Christian. I'm not changing my loyalties. All of everything going on in this world cannot shake me. I have put my hand to the plow. I'm not looking back. Christ is enough. I don't care what happens. I'm, there's a lot of things I've abandoned in my life. There's a lot of things I've given up. But this one, not given up. Faith gives us stability that whether, no matter what happens in my family this day, tomorrow I'll be at church. 
I need a word. I need somebody to say, thus saith the Lord. I need a Bible. I need the Spirit of God. I need a fellowship of believers. Whatever happens, this is where I'm going. They stability in regards to Jesus's in regards to Jesus's return you remember Paul said something like this do not be quickly shaken in mind don't let all this weird stuff lead you astray I keep using this phrase maybe you're tired of hearing it but you had a month break so there you have it Christians ought to be the calmest people in the room. Right? We know our Savior. We believe God's sovereign. We believe nothing's outside of His control. We believe that He's governing all things. If we actually believe that, should we not be the one in the room who's not shaken? Have faith in God. Have faith in God. Have faith in God. Here's what you need. We should be the calmest person in the room. It's way too long a story to tell, but me and Beverly had the privilege one night of meeting with this lady, and we've known her for 18 years at a place where we camp, and her son was in a horrific, horrific car wreck. Seven people in the car. Her, everybody's thrown out of the car except one person. Her son was 70 yards from the car. And it killed three people, and, and he's laying in the hospital dying. He gets a disease upon his face, and this disease is going to eat his face up, and it's going to kill him. And the doctor comes to this lady and says, look, this disease is just going to eat his whole face up. I've got to cut in there. I've got to dig out all the material until I find clean material or he's going to die. And in doing that, I have to have your permission because I'm going to have to take his whole eye. And it's possible that I might have to take both eyes. That's serious. We don't do it. He's dead. This is what she said to the doctor. Sir... All the abilities you've been given have been given to you by God. Do the very best you can, but don't take his eyes. Because God is going to do what God's going to do. That's Christianity. Calmest person in the room. You do what you do, and God will do what he does. They didn't take his eyes. He's now married, has kids, grandchildren. Scars on his face, yes. But God spared his life. Look, trust God. A stable faith. Not shaken. Your whole world's falling apart. I believe God. It's a faith. Old Testament faith. Having faith in Christ, walking in unity with Christ, is the most stable way any man can live. I do Old Testament on purpose. I could do lots of New Testament, but just briefly, Old Testament. There's a guy in the Old Testament by the name of Caleb. I named my son after him. And Caleb was 85 years old. 85 years old. This is what Caleb says. I am as strong today as I was that day 45 years ago. My strength is now as my strength was then. For war, for going and coming, give me this mountain. Old Testament faith. Or, I named my other son Joshua. Joshua said, but as for me and my house, it's resolved. We, I will serve the Lord. Or, what about Elisha? Remember that day? <laughs> he all shaking in fear. Elisha says something like this. 
those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Or what about David, whom we're preaching about in a sense? David said to the men who stood by him, you love it, I love it, every Christian loves it. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? Are you kidding me? You come to defy the armies of the living God? I take you out with my pocket knife. This is faith. He believed Christ. Not intimidated, not shaken. They were stable. Everybody else is in fear. David walks up to him and says, i got a slingshot and I'll deal with you. This is Christianity. Face object is Christ. And that object produces stability inwardly that will handle any circumstance. Number three. What attitude should we have? A lot of people would agree with this, that this is their attitude. Somehow it gets lost in their face, I think, sometimes. But for David, because of what I've just preached to you, you have the word, therefore. Because of my faith in Christ, because of this stability he's given me, therefore. This is the condition that I have. My heart has gladness. My tongue has rejoicing. Those two things are the whole looking back at his life, heart full of joy, a tongue full of rejoicing. The third one is a future tense verb. Because my heart is glad, because my tongue rejoices, in the future out here, wherever it is, I know this, I will live in the fullness of hope. That's what he says. Let's look at it. Verse 26 My heart was glad, my tongue rejoiced, my flesh will also dwell in hope. To be glad, to be delighted, to enjoy oneself, to celebrate. Psalm 16, 9, therefore my heart is glad. Old Testament, gladness of heart because of faith in Christ. Even Isaiah understood this. Here's the Old Testament prophet Isaiah. This is how Isaiah would say it. He says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. I'm going to greatly rejoice in Christ, if you will. My soul is going to exalt in God. He has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He's covered me with a robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with beautiful headdress, and as a bride adorns herself with jewels, Isaiah says, God has given me salvation and clothed me with the righteousness of Christ. Old Testament, Isaiah, David, seeing Christ by faith and rejoicing with a heart of gladness. Could any of us this day, including this preacher, would we live in the reality of a heart of gladness? And today I'm glad. I was glad when they said, let us go to the house of the Lord. Glad when the sun goes up, when the sun goes down, when it rains, when it don't rain. I'm just glad. Why? My sins have been forgiven. When I die, I'm not going to hell. When I die, I'm going to heaven. I'm going to be with Christ. Why would I not have gladness of heart? Well, well, brother, you don't know what I'm going through. Okay, but does it change the reality of the Word of God? This is what's happening in my life. Yes, but this happened before you were born. So my heart's glad. God is in control. Nothing has escaped Him, and He's doing everything for a purpose and a reason. And church, you can trust Him. You say, how so? Because the Bible says He does all things well. My heart is glad. 
He says, my tongue rejoiced to be exceedingly joyful, to exult, to be glad. Now, I know you, 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 you weren't with me, I weren't with you, bad English, whatever. <laughs> Dude, you just don't even understand how bad I wanted to be right there every Sunday because in this church, I can sing. It's just not that way everywhere. And this morning, I got to worship with the church. I can hear people singing, and I can see the words, and they were clear, and they had content and meaning. I just wanted to shout. It just means more when you go somewhere and they ain't got it. Psalm 16:9, my heart is glad. He says in Psalm 169, my whole being rejoices. Everything about me is just rejoicing. My heart's so glad that my tongue can't stop. Old Testament faith, right? Abraham understood this. Abraham, he says, Jesus says of him in John chapter 8, Your father Abraham rejoiced. Abraham rejoiced, Jesus said, to see my day. He, he saw it. Jesus, better than Peter, Jesus says Abraham saw Christ's day, and not only did he see his day, he was glad. And you know where these knuckleheads get the idea that there's a different salvation in the Old Testament. Abraham, by faith, saw it, had a heart of gladness and a tongue of rejoicing. What about Isaiah? So share with him again. Isaiah knew it. Here's what Isaiah said, quote, It will be said on that day, Behold, look, this is our God. We have waited for him. It's Christ who's coming. That's who we've been waiting on. That, why? That he and he alone might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be miserable and depressed and just go ho-hum through life. No, he says, let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Isaiah's just tickled pink. I don't know what that means. But he's tickled pink that Christ would bring salvation to him. Abraham, Isaiah, and I would say Christians, you and I, those of you in the room that are Christian, you understand the gospel and you would agree with Peter on this, 1 Peter 1, 6, which says, in this, this that I'm preaching to you, in this, you would rejoice. You'd rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you might be grieved through various trials, even in my grieving, I'm rejoicing in the gospel. I'm rejoicing in the gospel. What I'm trying to tell you is, is no matter how deep you're grieving, how deeply your circumstance is trying you, however deep that is, the gospel is of such value you can still rejoice. A heart that is glad has a tongue that rejoices because it understands who Christ is, what he's done, and all of our hope is bound up in him. 
Anybody getting this? Look, I know, I understand life. I'm not that old, but I'm over halfway to 100. And I know things are hard. I know we go through difficult things. That wanna, you want to rip your fingernails out and all kinds of things like this. It just drives you insane. I'm trying to tell you that the gospel is sufficient to see you through those things. Whatever the answer is, whatever the problems are, you cannot abandon the gospel and the preaching of God's word. That's our food. And then he says, because that's the way my life is, my flesh, you might could say my body, will dwell in future tense, take up a bow to live or settle in hope. Psalm 16, 9 again, a little bit different wording. My flesh also, doesn't say hope, my flesh also dwells secure. The Christian is the most secure person on the face of the planet. In Proverbs 1, preached it whenever, not too long ago, if you would listen to wisdom, this is what wisdom says. Will dwell secure, will be at ease without dread of disaster. Those who listen to wisdom will dwell secure, will be at ease. Proverbs 133b, will be secure, will be at ease, never dread disaster. There is nothing that can be done by anyone or anything to the Christian that ends in disaster. You say, look, man, Christians die. Dying's not disaster. Dying is entrance into glory. Dying is making it home. There's no, nothing that can befall us that is a disaster. A disaster is to end up in hell. The Christian's not going to end up there. So no matter, look, you can do whatever you want to do, but whatever you do, just know I'm going to end up at home. If you want it from the Bible, we probably should look to the Old Testament to find faith, right? Yeah, I'm saying those things on purpose, but like the three Hebrew children, what would they say? Our God, whom we serve, is able. We believe Him. He's able to deliver us out of the burning, fiery furnace, and He will. Whether we die or whether we live, be assured of this, He's going to deliver us from your hand. You don't have control. He does. The object of faith that causes the body to dwell, to live, to rest in hope must be none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. In application of that third point, if your whole heart is glad, in the Lord, and your tongue rejoices in the Lord, you can have confidence that in the future you will dwell in hope. Circumstances come and go. We all know this. Emotions rise and they fall. Now, case in point, my emotions are really high today. I'm just happy to be alive. I just love it. But there's going to be weeks down the road that I'm like, what am I doing? And I just want to jump off a cliff, right? Emotions rise and fall. Zeal is ignited and zeal is extinguished. Genuine, but genuine faith, whatever that may be, what, it was circumstances, emotions, or zeal, genuine faith in the right object produces stability, gladness, rejoicing, and hope. So on the day that my emotions go down, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to keep doing the same thing. 
I'm going to keep preaching the same book. I'm going to keep reading the same passages of Scripture. I'm going to keep coming to prayer meeting at 8 o'clock. I'm going to keep coming to church on a regular basis. I'm going to keep witnessing. I'm going to keep living out Christianity no matter how I feel because my faith has found a resting place. I'm just going to keep living it. And in that, there's going to be days at church and everybody's happy. And we're going to rejoice and we're going to have like a revival. And then we're going to come to church one Sunday and we're going to like, Where's everybody at? Did the church die? It, it, those things happen. But in the midst of all of them, I'm not looking for another. I'm not looking for another. Face attitude, gladness, rejoicing, and hope. Now, number four, we still got 13 minutes, you're good. Face promise, verse 27. Because, the word for, I like to say because, that's what it means, but the reason his heart is glad, the reason his tongue rejoices, or at least a reason here, that his flesh will dwell in hope, it's because, somebody please grab a hold of this this morning, you will not abandon my soul to Hades. Sometimes translators will translate Hades, and it's a reference to hell. Sometimes it will be translated in a reference to the grave. Here, at least in my view, it's in reference to the grave. Okay? I'm not going to be abandoned into the grave. This word for abandonment, say no desertion. It's a fun Greek word to say, by the way, inkataluto. It, it's inkataluto. It's so fun to say, I can't even say it. But in the future, it's what it means to separate connection with someone, to separate connection with something, to forsake, to abandon, to desert. Would somebody get a hold of this? Look, no matter what happens, you're a genuine believer in Christ. You, you believe Christ. You repented. You believe. You're baptized by immersion. And you believe Christ. You, you with me? You, you, this is a true for some of you, right? There is never in all of your existence for all of eternity ever going to be a time that you are abandoned. You have never gone through a darkness without Christ. You have never gone through a moment of life in which He disregarded or deserted you. Whether you can see, feel, or not, He has always been by your side. You say, well, there was a time I felt, I don't care what you felt, you've never been abandoned. Moses, I keep going to Old Testament, trying to stay consistent here. Moses, this is what he told Joshua. Be strong and courageous. Don't fear. Don't be in dread of them. For it is the Lord your God who goes with, with you. The Lord your God goes with you. Now notice the last phrase, you know it. He will not leave you. He will not forsake you. You are the most secure individual on the face of the globe. That's what Moses told Joshua. If that's not good enough, that's Deuteronomy 31.6, by the way. If you get to Joshua chapter 1, then the Lord himself tells Joshua this. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life, just as I was, was, I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you. I will not forsake you. 
Now, I don't mean this in a bad way, and don't, don't overdo it by any means. Don't, don't, don't take it out of context. But the Lord, ultimately, is the only one you can trust. I think about my father. I love my daddy. I think about my father. And I think about what he's done in churches. I think about the church buildings he's built. I think about the grass he mowed in July at 82 years of age out there in the heat because nobody else would do it because the young bucks are too busy to do it. I think about all the people my dad served and cutting trees off their house. All this stuff he did. I think about all of that. And then I sit in a hospital and nobody comes. Family, praise God, family. But all those people forgot. You're not there. He abandoned in a sense. He left him on his own. That's just the way life is. But my dad did not lay in that hospital room alone. He was not alone. The Lord was with him. I had some great conversations with my dad. I saw some real faith there. Encouraged my heart. But he was never alone. Make sure you understand that. He says, uh, I don't even know where I am. I got lost to my dad. Sorry. Number, oh, that's where I'm at. Hey, don't worry, man. I hadn't preached in a while. Hang on. (laughs) The grave is not the end. Death is not the last word. Paul said, I had to use the New Testament here, but, oh, death, where is your sting? Even in death, the believer is not abandoned. Then he says in that same verse, verse 27, you will not let your Holy One see corruption. You will not give your Holy One to corruption. Psalm 16.10, you will not let your Holy One see corruption. The Apostle Paul says later in the book of Acts, Paul says, not Peter, but Paul, and as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption. He has spoken this way, I will give you the holy and sure blessing of David. Therefore, he says also in another psalm, you will not let your Holy One see corruption. And we have to make this connection. Just hang on just a moment. Because of Christ's resurrection, believers can have faith that the prom- in the promise that they will not be abandoned in the grave and see corruption. Every one of the loved ones in this church, those that you know that are believers that died in the Lord and their bodies were put in the grave, that body is not staying there. There's going to be a day in which the soul that is in glory is reunited with that body and it is glorified and brought into the presence of Christ. That's the promise based upon the resurrection of Christ. We can have hope in that promise. In that second line, he uses this phrase, it is the Holy One. One Greek word, Holy One, hallowed, holy, sanctified, pious, pure. It's, it's a word that is used that pertains to someone that has no faults, that is devout, pious, that pleases God. There is one, David says, that will not see corruption. He's going to go in the grave, but he's going to come out of the grave. Later on in this very chapter, he says in verse 31 that David spoke about the resurrection of Christ. I know, 
that when I preach my next funeral in this church and they put the casket right here of a dearly beloved saint of by the word Baptist church, my heart will break, tears will come down my eyes, but I will not be in despair because they will not see corruption because Christ has been raised. The blessed good news. The believer has been promised by God in Christ through the Holy Spirit that they will never be abandoned. Think, this happens to all of us, but relationships fail. You ever had a friend bail out on you? You ever had people part ways with you? You're like, dude, what happened? I hadn't changed. Why don't you leave? What's up? Relationships, they happen. They end. People die. I don't like it no more than you like it. Material things dissolve. Health deteriorates. As Tommy and others would say, it's a terrible thing to get old. You can say, my dad and mom go to the doctor every day. Self-confidence is a lie, but the Christian lives with the reality that they'll never be abandoned. We have confidence in the promise by looking. You say, how do you maintain this confidence? Keep looking at the empty tomb. History verifies a resurrection. Faith sees a resurrected Christ as clearly as David saw it. Maybe we could say it this way. Once you love the Bible, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? That's the position of the believer. In all of this mess, I have a promise. And I'm just going to keep looking up where my surety stands. As a believer in Christ, your relationship is more secure than anything the world has to offer. You're never alone. Think about this. You're never alone. You're never forgotten. You're never left behind. You're never unloved. You're never without that which is necessary for your soul to be satisfied. There's nowhere you can go and nothing that can happen to you that leaves you devoid of grace. Number five and last. We have faith's promise. And lastly, we have faith's direction. Look in verse 28 to conclude our sermon this morning. He says, David says, You have made known to me the ways or the paths of life, and you will make me full of gladness with your presence. Caused information to become clear to me. You've made something known to me. Psalm 16, 11a, You make known to me the path of life. Now turn in your Bibles, just one reference outside of those. Look at Ephesians just briefly. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 7. Ephesians 1 and 7. We're talking about being, something being made known in order that we know how to live. Ephesians 1, 7. In Him, in Christ, this is what we have. We have redemption. How do we have that? Well, it's through His blood. What does that mean? Through His blood, it means that our sins or our trespasses are forgiven. Well, why is that? Well, it's because He's so stinking rich in grace. And so he took this overabundance amount of grace, verse 8, and he lavished it upon us, poured it out upon us undiscriminately in all wisdom and insight. And then look at verse 9, making known, revealing something to us, revealing to us the mystery of his will. 
Yeah, I know how to live. It's according to this purpose. He set before me in Christ. He has made it abundantly clear. This is how the Christian lives. He gave me a book. He gave me a pastor. He gave me a church. And he's shown me this is the way to live. Believe in Christ. Have a stableness. Have an attitude of gladness. An attitude, a tongue of rejoicing. Have an attitude of hope. And to believe the promise of God that I will not be abandoned. And to know this is the way. Walk in it. Everything that needs to be known for living the Christian life has been given in his word. Now, David didn't have a New Testament. But he says it was made known to him how to live. David believed that the Pentateuch was enough to be able to live the Christian life. Well, why would David think that what Moses wrote in the first five books was good enough to live a Christian life and to be sanctified and bring glory to God? Why why would he think something like that? Because he believed Christ, and Christ upholds the law, fulfills the law, and he sees that, as Paul would say, that the law is good and holy and right. Here's your reward. Last line, verse 28. You'll make me full of gladness with your presence. It's a future tense here again. You'll make full. Now, if you want to think of quantity, it's the best way to put it here. The glass is full. This one is not. It was earlier. But if the glass is full, no matter how much water you put in it, it can't contain any more. You with me? Just keep pouring and pouring and pouring. Well, they can only hold so much. That's our future. Gladness to the full, just poured out. And you just can't, people say, what are we going to do in heaven? I don't know what I'm going to do, but I know I'm going to be full of gladness. You say, how do you know I'm going to be full of gladness? Because I'm going to be in his presence. That's the reward. Gladness is the full cup of eternity for the believer. Psalm 1611 again. In your presence, fullness of joy. At your right hand, pleasures forevermore. It was gladness in verse 26. There's gladness in verse 28. Acts 14, 7 says that he satisfied your hearts with food and gladness. And David in Psalm 16, 11 tells us that joy specifically is in the presence of God. How can you, wrapping things up, you don't have to hurry, the food ain't going nowhere. Hang on. How can the believer experience gladness or joy in the present world today, right now? It is the pursuit, is it not? That's why people do what they do. They want to be happy, right? They want to have some type of joy. Well, how can the Christian have this? Our text tells us, have faith in Christ so that your life is not shaken by circumstances. Exhibit your faith with gladness of heart, rejoicing of tongue, and the hope of heaven. You can do this because you have a promise that he will never abandon you and because you know how to live. Live your life in a way that gives glory to God. Live your life believing that Christ is the perfect salvation. Live your life being led by the Spirit of God who empowers you to live for the glory of God because Christ finished the work of God. Live your life with hope in the promise of God and one day soon you receive it all. Full gladness.
God receives glory when his one and only son is given the honor he deserves. In our passage today, we saw the object of David's faith was the Lord Jesus. We saw the stability that was produced from the faith, the internal and external demonstration of that faith by gladness, rejoicing, and future hope, the resolve of faith in holding on to the promise, and we saw that David's faith showed him how to live life and obtain full gladness in the presence of of God. What about you? Do you want to live? Do you honestly think playing the slot machines at shortstop is going to help? Do you honestly think alcohol is going to help? Do you honestly think that getting another friend on Facebook is going to help you be satisfied? Do you honestly believe that? Do you really think getting a new truck is going to solve your problem? Do you think shooting a deer this year is going to make you happy? Do you really think that a sale at J.C. Penney's is really going to make you eternally happy? You know it's not. You're not going to be eternally glad from these things. Your pastor is telling you from the Word of God, if you want these things, they're available. They're all in Christ. Every one of them. Every one of them are true. You want to live? Come to Christ. You want gladness? Come to Christ. You want to rejoice? Come to Christ. You want the hope of heaven? Come to Christ. Repent, believe, believe upon Christ, give your life to Him, and just don't never look back. Brother Jeff's going to come. We're going to sing, and maybe just a bit different, but as he sings, I'm going to stand here. Brother John Speed's going to stand there. And as we sing this last song, if you would like prayer for your health, family situation, your job, whatever may be going on in your life, you could simply respond and come forward and say, Pastor, would you pray for me about this? We would pray. You don't have to be embarrassed, not reporting numbers or doing something weird. I'm your pastor. John's your pastor. Just want to pray for you if you want to be prayed for this morning. And so if you'd like to respond, we won't make it last all day, but I do want to make it available that I would love to pray with you if you'd like for me to pray with you about something. Brother Jeff, you lead us. Brother John, you come.